how did you feel in the middle of that reading from 2 Thessalonians with the talk of the lawless one, the son of destruction? There's actually something very ironic about this chapter of the Bible. Paul, the writer, makes his intentions clear. In the opening section of the chapter, he says, okay, we're on now, good, good, good. Good to get that out of the way. Um, In the opening section of the chapter, he says, don't be unsettled or alarmed by new things that you hear or read. In the closing section of the chapter, he says, stand firm and hold on to what you've already been taught. But then there's that freaky middle section of the chapter. And I think it's ironic because when you and I read the middle of this chapter, we find it actually quite unsettling and alarming. And when we read the middle section of this chapter, we start to wonder if what we've already been taught is incomplete and we need to add something new to it, some new teaching about the man of lawlessness. Now, today we will grapple a bit with that hairy section in the middle of the chapter. But before we do that, we need to get our bearings a bit. There's a problem that Paul, the writer, is addressing here. He's writing to this group of Christians in Thessalonica in about... 51 AD, and these guys haven't been Christians for very long, but they're already being given a hard time for it. Paul has taught them since the beginning that the injustice and the hardship they suffer won't last forever, because Jesus will come again in glory to rule the world, to judge the living and the dead. That's the word of comfort he's had for them. In his first letter, he said, you guys turned from idols to live, to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. In chapter five of that first letter, he said, now, brothers and sisters, about times or dates, we do not need to write to you. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly. And in saying all this, Paul was really echoing what Jesus himself had said. We read it in our reading from Matthew 24 this morning. Jesus himself said that he would return like a thief in the night at a time that nobody would expect. So Paul had taught these guys all of this. But now word is going around mouth-to-mouth, possibly in some letter that falsely claimed it was from Paul, a fake letter, word is going around that that day has already come. And Christians who believe that the day of the Lord has already come would be looking around and going, oh, really? Life seems the same. The Roman Empire is still in place. The pagan temples are still in business. We're still being harassed for following Jesus. We've been left behind. God has forgotten us. And so the whole of this chapter here is actually a word of reassurance that the day of the Lord has not yet come. Jesus has not yet already returned. Hold your horses. Stay at your posts. But as Paul gets into explaining why the day of the Lord has not yet come, that's when things get a bit more tricky. That's when the man of lawlessness enters the discussion. Now, this chapter is the only place where the Apostle Paul writes about the man of lawlessness. The only place. But interestingly, he says in verse 5, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you about these things? 
whatever he's talking about here, it's not some new discovery. He hasn't had some new revelation and changed his mind about when Jesus will return. No, he wants them to stand firm and hold fast to the teachings he's already given them. Now, this stuff about the man of lawlessness is difficult territory. There are some parts of the Bible that are just a bit of hard work. There are some parts of the Bible where you can read five different books by five different expert Bible scholars and get more than five interpretations of what's going on. And up front, I want to say, let's not make that, let that make us panic. There's no need to panic because 95 of the New Testament, 95% of the New Testament, very clear about what it teaches. And a principle of good interpretation is we can let those many, many clear passages help us interpret the tricky ones. Sometimes when we come to a tricky passage, we have to accept tentative conclusions. We can say, well, based on the rest of the Bible, it can't mean A, B or C. Uh, It could mean X, Y and Z, you know, one of those. Uh, Sometimes we have to leave it there with a tentative conclusion. In many ways, this is good for us. It keeps us humble. So what I'm about to give you today is, is my take, my maybe a little bit tentative take on this section. I've studied it hard. I've read a lot of things. This is what I've come up with. I'll do my best to explain my reasoning, but there won't be time to show all my working. And if I don't quite convince you, that's okay, because this is a tricky passage and not everyone reads it the way I do. I'll give you my conclusion up front, okay? I don't think this passage is telling us that we should expect some particular individual to appear in the future when we'll all go, oh, look, there's the man of lawlessness, therefore Jesus is about to come back. I don't believe there is some figure who has to arrive first before Jesus comes. Because if it was saying that, it would be contradicting everything else that Paul wrote and everything else that Jesus said about Jesus returning suddenly like a thief in the night. Now, if you're reading your Bible at home and you come across a really confusing passage like this one, one thing that can help is to compare some different translations. Uh, We are blessed with many good English translations of the Bible, modern English, Uh, they all have slightly different approaches. Because language always has some ambiguities. If I say, Jack pushed John, so I spoke to him, it's not quite clear whether I'm saying I spoke to Jack or I spoke to John. The NIV translation, which we read in church, is my favourite Bible translation. It's easy to read, it uses today's English, but when it translates into easy-to-read modern English, it has to resolve some of those ambiguities. That's not a criticism, it's just the way translation works. And for this particular tricky passage today, I think the ESV translation is going to be more helpful to us. So I'm going to put the middle section up on the screen in the ESV. It starts this way. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, And the man of lawlessness is revealed. Now, stop there because the first thing for us to notice is that word, revealed. Because it doesn't say that Jesus won't come back until the man of lawlessness arrives. No, that word revealed means to be uncovered, exposed, brought to light. 
if you know old TV shows or memes, it's like the end of Scooby-Doo, where the mask is ripped off and you find out that the scary monster is just the cranky old man from around the corner. It's this unveiling, the exposure of the man of lawlessness, which lies in the future. There's actually a lot of action described here which seems to be already in progress, as Paul writes. Verse 4 talks about the man of lawlessness who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. This is talking about the temple in Jerusalem, which was still standing when Paul wrote. Verse 7 says the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Verse 9 says the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. Not will be, but is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. It looks an awful lot like the man of lawlessness is already in action, as Paul writes. There's actually only one verse in the passage that uses the future tense. It's verse 8, which says, And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. In this verse, the the lawless one being revealed or exposed is wrapped up with the lawless one being destroyed when Jesus comes to reign. And so there's every reason to think that those two events happen together, not in some sequence where one happens first and you know the other one's coming. All of this convinces me that Paul is not predicting the arrival of some individual in the future during some nasty period just before Jesus returns. I reckon Jesus is making a statement about someone who was active at his own time. I think he was writing about the Roman emperor and the Roman empire. Because he could see in them an ongoing pattern of worldly rulers who set themselves up against God and against his anointed Messiah. He could see that setting themselves up like gods was business as usual for the rulers of great empires. Two examples we find in the Old Testament are the king of Babylon and the king of Tyre, mentioned in Isaiah and Ezekiel. The temple of the Lord in Jerusalem had long been a target for these kind of people. In 167 BC, there was a Greek king called Antiochus Epiphanes, his second name, which he gave himself, means God made visible. He conquered Jerusalem and desecrated the temple by sacrificing a pig on the altar. In 63 BC, the Roman general Pompey the Great had invaded Jerusalem and marched on into the most holy place of the temple where only priests could go. But I think actually Paul has most clearly in mind an event that was about 10 years before he wrote his letter. There was this Roman emperor called Gaius Caligula. He was absolutely convinced of his own divinity. He was slightly mad and took himself very seriously. He was angry with the Jews over various matters. And so he ordered a huge statue of himself to be built and placed in the temple in Jerusalem. His military officers advised this was not a wise course of action. It would cause an uproar. But he insisted that they go ahead. And so his army was on their way to Jerusalem with this statue to put it in place when Gaius was murdered in AD 41. 
And when his men heard the news that Gaius was no longer around, they decided not to proceed with the mission. Wise move. But if you look at verse 4 of our passage, Gaius Caligula was literally one who exalted himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so as to take his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. He fits the description. Now, Caligula was dead by the time Paul wrote his letter, but Paul could see that that pattern was continuing in the Roman Empire. As time went on in the first century, Roman emperors demanded to be treated more and more like gods. They demanded to be worshipped by everyone in the empire. And Christians who refused to do so were more and more in the firing line. Meanwhile, the general population of the empire often said, the Romans, oh, the Romans are great. They've brought us economic growth. They've brought us free trade. They've brought us wise philosophy. They've brought us great infrastructure projects, roads and aqueducts. Word went around about the emperors doing amazing miracles and even healing people. Many of the general population were sucked in by this. They joined in with the cult of emperor worship. They joined in with the persecution of Christians who wouldn't bow the knee. As Paul puts it in verse 9, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing. Paul is pointing all these arrows at the Roman Empire and saying, when Jesus comes back, all that will be exposed as the satanic enterprise that it is. When Jesus comes back, every oppressive and self-exalting empire will be destroyed. So don't be deceived. If that empire is still in place, you need to keep on waiting for Jesus. Okay, so we've drilled down deep into the details here. Maybe I've convinced you with my take. Maybe not, that's okay. But let's zoom out now. Let's try and work out what we can take away from this chapter for ourselves today. Firstly, let's have a think about that mystery of lawlessness mentioned in verse 7. Lawlessness means rejecting God's laws and making up your own laws. That was business as usual for Roman emperors. But let's notice that it's actually also business as usual for mainstream 21st century Western culture. Living by your own rules is what it's all about these days. You do you. And that's all good if we're talking about arbitrary human rules like the laws of fashion or the laws of good music taste. Go right ahead and make your own rules in those areas. But if you apply that to the whole of life, you do you, that's lawlessness at work. That means denying that there is any moral code that exists outside yourself. Paul said the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, and I think he was thinking of Roman emperors. But if we want to see lawlessness at work today... I think we can look within each one of us. Because each one of us has those moments where we set ourselves up as lawmakers. Moments when we quietly say, 
I'll decide what's right for me. Maybe it's when you choose to use your words for gossip or putting people down. Maybe it's when you choose to use your money to indulge yourself instead of being generous to others. Maybe it's when you're doing your tax return that you say, I'll decide what's right. Maybe it's in the area of sexuality that you say quietly to yourself, I'll decide what's right for me. That's the mystery of lawlessness at work. In those moments, we are proclaiming ourselves to be gods. In those moments, we're participating in a system which the Bible says will be exposed and destroyed in the end. And so let's be people who expose and destroy the lawlessness in ourselves now. Let's bring those areas to light, repent of them, receive God's free and full forgiveness and cleansing. Secondly, let's have a think about that claim that was floating around, that the day of the Lord has already come. Are any of us in danger of believing a claim like that? If you're a Christian believer, you probably say with your lips, no, I'm still waiting for Jesus to come. But in the way that you live and the expectations that you hold for this life, does that tell a different story? Do you live like prosperity and health are normal and to be expected? Does it shock you when you suddenly run into financial trouble or serious illness? Does it shock you when you experience injustice of various kinds? Does it shock you when being a follower of Jesus attracts scorn instead of respect? Don't expect from this age what is only promised in the age to come. Perfect justice, that's for then, not for now. Recognition and privilege for trusting in Jesus, that's for then, not for now. Let's watch out for areas where we are subtly acting as if we do think the day of the Lord has already come. Because it hasn't. Thirdly, let's have a think about what Paul said at the beginning and the end of the chapter. About not becoming easily unsettled or alarmed. About standing firm and holding fast to the teachings we've received. Like I said at the start, it's ironic that this chapter has made people unsettled and alarmed and led to new and complex teachings about the end times. Through the 20th century, in America in particular, complex end time speculation has multiplied. People have taken one verse from here in the Bible and one verse from there in the Bible and used them to cook up complicated timelines of the end of the age, which no Christian in the previous 1900 years had ever thought of. Here's one example. I look at this and it makes me feel quite unsettled and alarmed. If you're old enough to remember the Left Behind books, this stuff is what they were all about. There was one very popular book in the 80s called The Late Great Planet Earth. Its author predicted that the decade of the 1980s could very well be the last decade of history as we know it. Turns out he was wrong. A survey in 2010 showed that 47% of American Christians thought that Jesus would probably or definitely return by 2050 because they thought they could see the signs. 
probably some of them on a certain side of the political spectrum were saying, well, Barack Obama's in the White House, man of lawlessness in the temple, so Jesus must be just around the corner. No! 14% of respondents said they didn't know. They had the right answer, 14%. Paul the Apostle says to us, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings you've received. He said in his other letter that the day would come suddenly like a thief in the night. He was representing Jesus himself who said he'd return at an hour that no one expected. So don't be unsettled or alarmed. Our job is not to look out anxiously for the arrival of the man of lawlessness. Our job is to look forward in eager expectation for the unveiling and destruction of the man of lawlessness at the arrival of King Jesus, when all injustice is taken away. We're called to anticipation, not speculation. We're called to be stirred, not shaken. Now, lawlessness is still at work on the global scale, Any number of powerful figures today could wear that label, man of lawlessness. But these days we're gender inclusive, so we have plenty of women of lawlessness as well. Lawlessness is at work in oppressive governments, whether they're communist or fascist or ultra-nationalist or whatever. Lawlessness is at work in world leaders who start wars to claim glory for themselves at the expense of thousands of innocent lives. Lawlessness is at work in oppressive multinational corporations which exploit their workers and expect people to live and die for the company alone. It's at work in self-obsessed celebrities who rake in millions of dollars from fans and expect the world to revolve around them. Our job isn't to be unsettled or alarmed by all of this. Our job is to look forward to the day when every oppressive empire is exposed for what it is the day when every anti-God kingdom is brought to nothing. The day of justice, the day of peace. That day's not here yet. So stand firm and hold on to the truth. Jesus will come. It could be any day. He will gather us to himself. We will share in his glory. Come, Lord Jesus.